Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and want to thank you once again for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that you could have just wiped out the human race and start over again. But instead, in your love, you sent us your son to die for our sins. And then you raise him from the dead. Father, we ask today that we would be guided by the Holy Spirit as we continue to study your word. We pray for all the needs of the saints. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, this time if we could all stand and sing our congregation song. All right, I want to encourage each of you to invite somebody to church. Yeah, a little challenge, right? Because um, now that we have our own place, there's definitely room, and people out there desperately need to hear the message of the gospel and the truth about Jesus Christ. And this is one place that they'll definitely hear that. So I encourage every one of you, think about somebody in your life who's without Christ at this time, and ask them. All you have to do is ask. Don't pressure them, but ask them. And if they, if they have any questions, answer them, and hopefully they'll come and give this a shot. Also this morning, I wanted to tell you something that we've uh, just added um, to, <coughs> to our website. Um, every week we have a course of Bible study on Thursday evening. And we post the um, the teaching summary for every week. But what we started to do is to keep those um, all together in one place. So you can just look at the most recent one all the way down to the first one. Isaiah is a 66-chapter book, and we've been on it for a while. But it's, it's, a, it's a really excellent way, I think, um, to keep track of everything. So you can see now, this is, so if you hit Isaiah's study guide, Weekly in Progress, You'll come to this page, and then you'll see the class outline, not only for the current week, in this case it's uh, January 11th, 2024, but all of them going down to the very beginning. This is helpful for people who may have missed this. one of the classes. You're, you're t- keeping up with the study, but maybe you weren't able to come for a couple of weeks. It's also if somebody's never studied Isaiah before, and they'd like to have a, a study that they can refer to, they can also use this this way. Sometime soon, I'm hoping that we can uh, take this again and just have it by, by verse and by section, which would be even more helpful. Um, plant a seed. Um, we definitely are starting to have more and more um, opportunity to put together different publications, and um, that's not going to happen magically. So if, if, if there's somebody here who would like to help with that, just uh, let me know. And we'll, um, we'll definitely, we definitely can use the help on that also. All right, please turn your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. My friends in the back, uh, I don't have my notes anymore. Somehow they disappeared. On the right side, I have the slides, but <laughs> I'm capable of anything to mess things up, but I don't know what I did. It's, it just says no notes there. I don't know what that means. 
Hey, that's not fair. That was too easy. Yeah? Why is that? Okay, let's, let's see if that's true. Yeah, it does. That's weird. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I'd have to do that every time. I don't know why that is. Oh. There you go. Great. Yeah. That's perfect. Okay. Thanks a lot. Yeah, as usual, I did something to mess it up. I don't even know what I did. He's like, oh, yeah, just do that. I'm like, thank God you're here. All right, again, please turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 16, verse 23. I'm going to read that passage. It's the last passage in the chapter and in the discourse that Jesus has been teaching from starting in chapter, chapter 14. In any event, John 16, 23. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Last Sunday, we really zoomed in and focused on verse 28, which serves as an executive summary of the gospel. I'll read it again. You can see it in your Bibles. John chapter 16, verse 28. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again. And going to the Father. I came forth from the Father. I've come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going back to the Father. And as we saw, this statement by our Lord covers the history of Christ. Because that's him. But it's the history of Christ, the word who became flesh. All the way from eternity past. He was with the Father and then he came forth and down to the world. And then, of course, he's going, he, he had lived his life. He's going to die and be raised from the dead. And then 30, 40 days later, he'll ascend back into heaven and be seated at the right hand of the Father. So when he says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world, God became flesh. 
I am leaving the world again. His, his resurrection, his ascension, and his session. I'm going to the Father. He was with God before the creation of the heavens and the earth. He always was with God, and he always was God. But then at the right time, the Father sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world, and he had a mission. The Father gave the Son a mission, and that mission was to save the world. In order to do that, he had to die. He had to die on the cross and be buried and then be raised by the Father. He had a mission. I want you to just remember that, that the Father sent his Son into the world with a mission to save the world. Because you might ask the question, okay, so why is he going up after that? Well, the answer is, is that he's completed his work. But as we're going to see this morning, the work on earth isn't completed. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's work as the Savior and Lord that's finished. But we're here, and we're going to see it in the same way that the Father sent the Son to complete a mission. Now the Son has sent us to complete our own mission. But again, soon the Father will call him back and he will leave the world and go back to his Father, return to his Father. Again, he'll die on the cross. So he came into the world. He preached. He selected the 12. He's now had those three chapters worth of teaching before he goes to the cross. But soon he will die on the cross as our Savior and then be raised from the dead. And then he will leave because 40 days after he, he, is, he rises from the dead, he will ascend into heaven and be seated at his father's right hand. He came into the world and now he left the world again and now he's with the father. Now, w- when Jesus arrives, when he did arrive, but from the point of view of where we are in the gospel of John that evening, when he dies and was raised from the dead and then 40 days after that he arrives back in heaven and then he's seated in his glory that will inaugurate a new age by the way it's the age we're in now and it's the age of the indwelling spirit the age of the indwelling spirit began when jesus was seated at the right hand of the father because he did something and what he did was he sent the holy spirit down he had said back in chapter 7, he said, well, John said it. He said, the Spirit was not yet given at that point during his public ministry because Christ was not yet glorified. But then he is glorified when he sits at the right hand of the Father. It's a very dramatic moment to think about. Think about Jesus Christ ascending. Now, he's God in the flesh. Always will be that person, the God-man. Always. He's sitting today at the right hand of the Father as a human being who's also God. And that will always be the case. When we see him coming in the clouds, we'll see him as a human being. He will still have the marks on his hands where the nails pierced his hands. He will still have the wound on his side where the sword of the soldier punctured his side. He'll be like that forever. But right now, today, he's there at the right hand of the Father until, of course, the Father tells him again to come into the world. And he will, perhaps very soon. But that, that, that moment, that moment of reunion, that moment of glory, when now finally the Father and Son are reunited, but now the Son as, as God in the flesh, that inaugurates a new age. And it's the indwelling spirit. At, the, at that moment, 
Jesus Christ sends down the whole, just like the Father sent him into the world, and then he's coming back into the, into the heavens with his Father, then he's going to send the Spirit down, and then the Spirit will continue the work. That's why, I remember, we saw Jesus in chapter 14 tell them, the works that I do, you will do also. So there's more work to be done, and greater works than these you will do, because I go to the Father. Because that's when he sends the Holy Spirit down. And now the Holy Spirit indwells each and every believer. Each and every believer. When Jesus was here, he, of course, was indwelt by the Spirit. Now, every member of the body of Christ is indwelt by the Spirit. That began when Jesus Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father, and he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell every member of the body of Christ and do so forever. Look at John chapter 16, verse 7. John chapter 16, verse 7. Notice how he puts it here. He says, but I tell you the truth. He's talking to his disciples. It's to your advantage that I go away. And that certainly wasn't the way they saw it at the time. But that just showed that they, he, they didn't yet have their eyes open to the magnificence of what was happening with his son being with them and then going to the cross and dying. They didn't really perceive all of that yet. He had hinted at it. But at this point in time, they're discouraged, but he's telling them, don't be, because it's better now that I go away. Why? For if I don't go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Now, that's significant, of course, but he's, he's said so many times already that there's things that you can't bear now while I'm here with you. There's things that you don't understand, but a day is coming when you will understand and you'll have no more questions for me because now you have the helper that is answering your questions, the Holy Spirit. That's his job. That's one of his jobs now. One of his things that he's doing on an ongoing basis, right? every member of the body of Christ who puts themselves in the presence of the hearing of the word of God, he's teaching them. He's helping them understand that. He's answering their questions. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about something goofy here where the Holy Spirit is going to literally sit on your shoulder like a dove and whisper in your ear. But that doesn't change the fact that he's in you and he's teaching you. And what he's doing is he's taking the words that you have listened to and have believed and now dwell in your heart and he's answering questions. He, he's t- telling us things about our lives and where, where we need a lot of help and showing us how the Word of God provides that help, whether it's power or, or challenge or compassion or opening our eyes to the magnificence really more and more and more of who Jesus Christ is, of showing us more and more what it means that we have eternal life now and what that's all about. He's going to really get into that very, very soon in our series on the Gospel of John. When he gets to chapter 17, he's going to talk about eternal life. And we can hear that, but then we also sort of continue in God's word, and then we see that there's more teaching in the word of God about eternal life. And every time we go to a well, maybe not every time, but the idea is that we go to another passage, another time, we've seen it before, that talks about something, let's say, like the love of God, 
or eternal life. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I, I see something new there. All right. Well, you had some help with that. The Holy Spirit is actually at work. He's at work. And, and remember, he who began a good work in you will continue it. So there's work going on all the time in our hearts, in our human spirit. And the way that we participate, of course, is, well, there's two things. One is to hear the word of God. And one is to allow the spirit to continue to complete us. Because there are things we can do to hinder that. All right. But that's the big picture now. He's saying, listen, I am going away. But when I do, I'm sending the helper who will continue what I'm doing. And not only will he continue in, our, in what you receive from me, he's saying, but there'll be new things that he'll be revealing to you. You'll have new power that you didn't have before. You'll have new insight that you didn't have before. Why? Because the helper, the encourager is in you, the teacher. So quite simply now, we have Jesus about to go back to the Father. He's leaving the world. And yet his disciples remain in the world. I suppose they may have wondered if, well, we'll see this this morning, what they wondered when we get to the, to the book of Acts, the very beginning. Because Acts picks up right where the Gospels leave off. It continues to, to tell a history. Only now, now that the work of Christ is completed, and that's where the Gospels end, now the book of Acts picks up the story, and now is going to talk about this age of the Spirit. The age that we live in right now. We're going to see how that worked out, how that started, what happened, how did it develop. Right? Well, at the very beginning, we're going to see that Jesus Christ actually ascends into heaven. And then he gives a mission to his disciples. They'll remain in the world to accomplish the mission that they, he has for them. And that mission continues today. All right. Look at John chapter 17, verse 15 now. John 17, 15. Here we've crossed the threshold. By that I mean we have seen now the completion of the teaching of Christ to his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. But then he, when he's done, there's a threshold of holiness, if I could put it that way, of glory that he steps over. And that's when he's, he starts praying to his father. And it's just that one-on-one time, if I could put it that way, between him and his father before he's going to die. So that's what happens when we get into chapter 17. We step over, and now Jesus is alone with his father. Verse 15, again, he's talking to his father. It's an amazing thing to contemplate. Now we have God became man. He's in the flesh. He's, he's going to suffer tremendously, beginning in a few minutes here in, in, our, in, in, how, in, the, in the history here, in the story here. Okay, So he's clearly human. At the same time, he's God. In the flesh, he's also the son of God. And as that person, that unique person, he's now speaking to his father. I do not ask you, father, to take them out of the world. See it? He, I suppose he could have. And I suppose that at the moment that the disciples see Jesus, we'll see it in the book of Acts, ascending into heaven and leaving them, I suppose there probably was a desire, hey, take us with you. Why are you leaving us here? Right? People today have the same question. <laughs> I hear all the time the, the one question that a lot of people want to know, which is, when's the rapture going to happen? You know, is it, is it close? Well, we're going to see today that 
I can't, by definition, tell you that because I don't know it. Okay, Jesus himself didn't know. This is a mind-boggling thing to contemplate. But there is, um, there, there are different people in the Godhead, three. They have different tasks, if I could put it that way. Oh, one of them is the one who plans everything out. Okay? Then there's another one who executes that plan strategically, Jesus dying and rising again. And then there's another person, the Holy Spirit, who is now here. And if I could put it this way, in the tactical phase, this, Jesus already won the war, but we're now, we're now going to be part of that victory that he will continue to have in our lives until finally we go back to be with him. Again, I do not ask you, this is Jesus Christ talking to his father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And that's the thing. That's what's going on now. We may not realize it, but we are at war. We have a battle in any event with the, with the principalities and powers, okay? And yet we can't fight that. We, have, we are in a struggle against our very own flesh, and we can't win that battle alone. We, we, are, we are not of the world, even though we're in the world, and there's that conflict, there's that struggle. We're involved in it, and we can't, we can't de- de- defeat the world in that sense either. But Jesus has... And then he's given us the spirit to continue so that we start entering into the victory. Okay? I mean, to use a crude analogy, it would be as if on a military basis, we've, you know, we have the, um, the, the strategic victory over Japan. It was a horrible thing, but it did achieve the victory. And I'm talking about the atom bomb that was released. Okay? So that was a strategic victory. I mean, it was no question in anybody's mind after that happened that the United States was going to win the war in the Pacific. At the same time, there were still soldiers, and they now had an opportunity, because of that achievement, to basically complete that work, if I could put it that way. Actually, you know, actually come on into the islands and Japan itself, and then participate in the, the United States sort of reworking, remaking the whole empire of the Japan, right? And... All of that only happened because of the victory that we won strategically. Well, it's the same thing with us. Jesus Christ has already had the victory. We'll see this at the end today in verse 33. He's already had the victory over really our flesh, sin itself. He's already had the victory over this world. And in fact, he's already had the victory over Satan and the principalities and powers. The ruler of this world has been judged. And that's just the fact. So again, verse 15. I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So again, we have, we have power at our disposal. We have angels, by the way, helping us. Angels now have been given. We don't see them, but, the, but for the purpose of helping us. Okay, We have no idea what's going on in the heavenly realm between the forces of evil and the, and the angels of God. And yet that's there helping to do this work, to keep us, right? The whole focus of the universe, as far as God's plan is concerned, is the church now. He's doing his work through the church. He's actually, as Ephesians 3 tells us, he's actually broadcasting what he has accomplished through his son to 
the universe through the powers that be in the heavens. And he's using the church to do that. Now, that's a good reason, by the way, to have come this morning and to listen, to know that. To know that, yeah, my life may seem mundane. It may seem like I'm not really making any progress. I have a lot of struggles with people. I have a lot of struggles with myself. The world is really going to hell. I can use the word hell in that context because it's actually accurate. I'm not just cursing. And yet... Now we find out, yeah, but there's something being accomplished that you have no idea about, but you're participating in. Can you see how that only makes sense if we have faith in the word of God? You can't, none of us can really contemplate all the details, but by faith in the word of God, we know that they're they're at work keeping us from the evil one. Verse 16, again, Jesus praying to his father, they, the disciples and now the church, are not of the world. We are not of the world. He's called us out of the world. And because of that, the world hates us every bit as much as... That was definitely true, you know, in the first century in the disciples. Again, we can see it in the gospel of... I mean, well, beginning in the gospels where Jesus tells them what's going to happen. You'll be persecuted. People will kill you and they'll think they're doing it in the name of God. And that came to be. I mean, we can certainly see that. In the early church with Peter being arrested and the, 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 the killing of James and all the things that Paul went through. Okay, But it didn't end there because here we are. We, as it were, are representing the Lord Jesus Christ here. So in terms of what the angels can do to try to, try to have their plan of evil carried out, okay, they can no longer touch Jesus Christ. In his humanity. He's in heaven. Game over. But they can, they can try to do something to us. All right? And that's what they're... And, that's, and again, keep your eyes open, but don't be afraid. He's going to keep saying that. He says that throughout his public ministry. And P- Peter and Paul will say it later in their letters. And John, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus has already overcome these things. But they're still going on. And it should give us a sense of comfort in a weird way. To realize that no matter what evil is out there, Jesus Christ is stronger. His, the power he's given us is greater. He who is in us, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he that's in the world. Do not be afraid. There are great things being accomplished right now. Though in your daily life, you really don't see it at all. But in the eyes of faith, you do. And that, just, that doesn't mean holding our breath and hoping. It means reading and hearing things in the word of God and simply, simple faith. The simplicity of devotion to Christ. He said it. The, the, the writers of the epistles said it. I'm believing that. I'm believing that. Even if my eyes tell me something completely different, I'm believing that. I believe that there's, everything is working out for my good, even though it sure doesn't seem that way from day to day. But I believe it. I believe that there will be a day when, when Jesus Christ will come back. And for us, like for the disciples, everything will come to pass and make perfect sense. But not yet. But that's what faith is for. Again, John seventeen fifty. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, 
even as I am not of the world. See, what, what, was, what was true about him when he was here is true about us now that he's back with his father. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Keep them separated. How? Notice how. How does he? He's talking to the father and he's saying, sanctify them. Keep them apart. Keep them pure. Protect them from the evil one. How? Verse 17, sanctify them with lots of military around them. Is that what it says? No, No, what does it say? Come on, in the truth. The truth is powerful. That's why it's called a double-edged sword. That's why the only piece of warfare, of uh, equipment in Ephesians 6 that is is, uh, aggressive, I know, thank you. That was the word I was searching for. Is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's so much power built into the word of God. And again, don't get goofy and think that, well, you know, I'm going to be able to step out after service today and take my Bible and go zap. That's not at all what it is. You're going to take your Bible and say, ah, in my heart now, I see things make sense. In my heart, I can overcome. I, I get what Paul is saying when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he does that by the, his word and, of course, by the spirit. His word and his spirit both indwell in our hearts. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word. This is Jesus talking to his father. You can't get any better witness of any truth than when God the Son is speaking to God the Father. Okay, that's it. I mean, if there's one place you want to go, right, and say, if, if, if all else fails in my heart today, where do I go that I, that I just, man, how powerful this is. It's John 17, the things that he says there. I, so again, sanctify them in the truth. Your word, Father, is truth. And then here we have it. As you sent me into the world with a mission to overcome the world, to die for the sins of the world, and to, to deal with sin and to have a strategic victory over Satan himself. Now, as you sent me to accomplish that, Father, I'm sending them into the world to accomplish the mission I have for them. It's a follow-on to his victory. Jesus then will send his disciples into the world with a mission. And it's really simple to say, what is the mission? Well, it's yeah, we can stop there for a minute and say, well, I guess it's the same mission as Jesus had. Hold on to that thought, but there's no way that we have the same mission that Jesus had. In other words, he's already died for the sins of the world. He doesn't need us to die for the sins of the world also, right? But there's but, but now we've heard the message, we believe it, but then there's all the people. God isn't, isn't just interested And and what happened at the cross for him, though he was first and foremost, that God was vindicated in the death of his son. But he's also interested in that he's not willing that any should perish. Now, how is that going to happen? Well, it's by the word, the truth going forth and people having a preacher or or an evangelist or an individual that cares and preaching the truth to them about about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's part of the mission. But in addition to our being his witnesses in his death and resurrection, we're also his witnesses in terms of what we just talked about, in terms of what, what, what's, what's really going on. What power has God, does God have for us? What's, how do you understand um, what is your purpose right, in life? Um, so we're to be his witnesses 
Not only in what he did, but in who he is. And that's a marvelous mission. I can't think of anything more marvelous for a human being anyway. All right. Please turn now to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're ready to look at the book of Acts now, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It's appropriate that Luke not only wrote the gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. And it's appropriate in this sense in particular. The gospel of Luke is a gospel that deals with the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now, never setting aside the fact that he's God, but there's things in there. there there's, there's touches that, that Luke gives us about the humanity of Jesus Christ, the conversations that he had. It's in, the, it's in the gospel of Luke where we see in detail the birth of Christ. Well, that's when God became man. You see, in the gospel of John, the focus is on the deity of Christ. The gospel of Luke, humanity. Okay, so do we share in his deity? No. I know you may think, well, there's a lot of great things about our fellowship with God, but being God isn't one of them. So, but we share in humanity. And so you have the history, as it were, of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ in terms of his humanity. And then we have the book of Acts, which is about the humanity of the people left behind to continue the mission. And if you were to read the Gospel of Luke, you know, at the very beginning, you'll see the commonality with what, Paul, what, what Luke is actually saying. He's saying, I have, a, I have collected in order and in detail the, the facts about Jesus. And then here he says the same thing, only now he says, I'm going to tell you what happened after he, after he was raised from the dead. Look at Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 3. To these, in context, that's the apostles, his disciples, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. Take people to this verse if they say there's no proof that Jesus rose from the dead, by the way. There it is. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing them to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem at that time, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. After Jesus Christ ascends into heaven and is seated, he sends down the Spirit, and the age of the indwelling Spirit begins. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time You are restoring the kingdom to Israel. Notice that. Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? At this time. What are they saying? Well, we know you're the Messiah, and the Messiah sets up the kingdom of Israel again. Are you going to do it now? (laughs) Again, that's not all that dissimilar, as it were. Now that we know about the rapture, we ask sort of a similar question, right? Is it it coming tomorrow? When is the rapture going to happen? Well, if we're going to see in verse 7, the, well, let's read it now. Look at the answer he gives. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel now, tonight? 
He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs from which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Notice again, it is not for you. Now, he's talking to the apostles, right? There's no more apostles, by the way. Okay? They had, they had, they were unique. I mean, they had a, their mission, right? It was never repeated either in a sense because they went out and they, they were the first representatives of Christ. They had authority that we don't have. No pastor, teacher today, no evangelist, no pope. Anybody has the authority that the apostles had in that first generation. So that's true. And notice if he said this to them, he said, it is not for you, the apostles, to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. So if that's true of the apostles, it's definitely true of me and you and the pope and everybody else. It's not for us to know the time. It's not for us to know the time when the rapture is going to happen. Why? Because the Father has fixed that time by his own authority. God the Father said, I am the one who will set that time and no one else is going to know about it. By the way, in another place, Jesus says, I don't even know. Think about that. When's the rapture going to occur? Jesus doesn't know in his humanity. So if Jesus doesn't know, then how are we going to know? We're not. So sit tight, take it one day at a time. And here's how we do that in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. New power is released. We have tremendous power at our disposal now. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come. And you will notice, and then here's the mission. You will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The gospel will reach the remotest part of the earth, and that, and that apostles are the ones who, well, the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, will set all that up. Peter and John and James are going to do the first part of this. They're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria because their calling was to preach the gospel to the Jewish people. And then even to the remotest part of the earth, Paul is going to do that. The word, he would say that the word is going out to all the Gentiles, right? There. So we have, we have Peter and James and John, boom, going to Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem. Paul, even to the remotest part of the earth. So this all came to pass. First generation were the ones that set this all in motion. We follow on, you know, and that's not our subject today. But we follow on, and we do it, by the way, as a body. Okay? There's a lot of people that want to be lone rangers in Christianity. There's no such thing. You, you can't even grow as a Christian apart from the body. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. You, as an individual, don't grow without the body of Christ. That's why it's such a tragedy that people think they can park themselves all by themselves and study the Word of God and grow. Well, it sounds good, but it's not true. Just If you don't believe me, read Ephesians 4 sometime, and you'll see it very clearly. All together, in any event, verse 9, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received them out of their sight. All right, let's now pick things up in the Gospel of John. Let's go to John chapter 16, verse 31. John 16, 31. 
Jesus answered them and said, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come, moments away, for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. In a few hours, this is all going to come to pass. Maybe, maybe, we don't know exactly the amount of time here, but we know really, really soon this is going to come to pass. And you know what's going to happen in Christ's hour of greatest need and his humanity now? They would all abandon him. Every one of them. You know, we think of Peter denying him, but the fact is the Bible is crystal clear on the fact that they're all going to abandon him. We see that in verse 32. Right? The time and hour is coming and has already come for you, all of you, to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Look at the Gospel of Mark. Go back to the Gospel of Mark, starting in verse chapter 14. Not starting, we're only going to look at one verse. Mark 14, 27. Mark 14, 27. In his hour of greatest need, all of his disciples will abandon him. He'll be alone, and yet he won't be alone because his Father is with him. Mark 14, 27. Jesus said to them, Mark 14, 27. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. Notice that. You will all fall away. Peter denied him, but they all fell away. Why? Because it is written. And that just means there's prophecies that need to be fulfilled. It is written, and this is a quote now from Zechariah 13, 7. Okay? Jesus said to them, you will fall, fall away because it is written. By the way, that's the way he defeated Satan on earth, you know. Remember he said when he was tempted in the wilderness after 40 days without eating. All he did to defeat Satan at that time was say, it is written. It is written. It is written. We should, take it, we should take his example in that, by the way. You know, when we feel tempted in any way, we should just step back and say, but it is written. It is written that I've been separated from my flesh because I've been crucified with Christ. The world pressing in on us, it is written. Greater is it he me in me than he that's in the world. It is written. In the here, it is a prophecy. It is written, I will strike down the shepherd, that's Christ, and the sheep will be scattered. Those are the disciples. And that came to pass. As a matter of fact, they couldn't even stay awake with him for one hour when he had his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, hey, if everybody else, I will stand with you to die, die. Little pressure, gone. All right? Because he knows... He knows about them that the flesh is weak. He knows about us the same thing. Our flesh is weak. right? That's why he needs to give us power. And that power is in his word and in the Holy Spirit. Okay, back to John 16, 33. Last verse. The last verse Jesus will say to his disciples before he goes to begin his suffering. At least the last recorded words that he says to all of them as a group. John sixteen thirty three. these things, these are all the things that we've seen over the past months 
in the Gospel of John, chapter 13 through 16. All those things he said, I've spoken to you. Notice why. So that in me, in Christ, in Christ, there are a few words more beautiful than those two. Especially for us, by the way, as believers in Christ. We're going to see in a few minutes the significance of that. Those two words, in Christ, in me. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. Do not be afraid. Take heart. I, in me, have overcome the world. So there's in me and in the world. But take courage because you're in the one who has overcome the world. Nevertheless, the believer in Christ exists in two realms, simultaneously, all the time. You and I exist in two realms. Oh, we are not of the world, but we are certainly in the world. But we're also in Christ. And so, and, and again, how are you going to understand that? Well, it's really hard to draw a picture about that. Not impossible. But the fact is that we, we, we experience what this is all about as we grow, as we have more and more revealed to us through the word of God and by the Holy Spirit about the true nature of this world and also reveal to us the magnificence of all that we are in Christ. The believer in Christ exists in two realms, in Christ and in the world. Picture, I said I wouldn't draw a picture, but here I go. Because back in chapter 10, Jesus said that he was the door of the sheep. So you can picture being in Christ. Just a picture is not, obviously, it's very imperfect. It's not this way, really. But to kind of picture it a little bit, you can picture those sheep in the sheepfold protected. With Jesus as the door. See? I am the door of the sheep. In there, in me, you have tremendous things. You have love, you have joy, you have peace. In the world, you have trouble. You have persecution. You have the wild animals trying to get a hold of you. That's why Jesus said, keep them from all that. Keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the wolves. They're going to try to come in and teach false doctrine to people. Keep them from the world system. Keep them from, away from Satan himself and the power of the flesh. Because in the world, in Christ, you have peace. In the world, you have persecution and tribulation. So again, there are these two places where we are now, two realms, in Christ and in the world, both at the same time. Okay, so get, and so if you think about the sheep just for a moment longer, there, there's the, the sheep in the sheepfold protected by Christ the door. But there are times when they have to leave the sheepfold. And that's the equivalent of us being in the world. See, right now, we have this wonderful time together. When we, are, we, are, we know we're in Christ, but we also know we are members one of another. And it's a wonderful thing. But then we're going to go back into the world. And there, of course, we need Christ every bit as much, if not more. Right? We live in both places. If I call them places. In Christ and in the world. Well, in Christ, we have things like love. And Jesus has already spoken of it. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to have love, to know how much you're loved by God. It means to have joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It means to be at peace on the inside, the peace that surpasses 
understanding. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And for the next few minutes, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, 6. Philippians 4, 6. Because for the next few minutes, we're going to spend time with those two amazing words, thinking about them, because it is true about us, in Christ. In Christ. For the next few minutes, that's all we're going to focus on. We're going to look at, I'm going to show you them, statements that are true about us in Christ. That realm of where we live now in Christ is an amazing place to be, if I could call it a place. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Do not fear. Right? Take heart. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. There's another weapon, by the way. That's why Jesus just got finished saying, ask for things, ask the Father in my name. Prayer is powerful, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, simply let your requests be made known to God. By the way, that is a, that is a very practical day in and day out way to keep the world at bay. To have victory over these things of the world and our flesh. To just pray. Just simply go to him. I'm having a hard time with this, Father. I need help right now. What happens? What's the connection? Notice in verse 7. And the peace of God. In me you have peace. And that, that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, faith, not mentality here, will guard your hearts and your minds. Notice, guard, garrison, protect the sheep and the sheepfold. Garrison your hearts and your minds where? In Christ Jesus. In Christ and in the world. In Christ, right? That's where we'll start. I just want to, I'm going to go somewhat fast about this. Um, by the way, we, we have the, a PDF of my notes on the website. Okay, so you can return to this. Anytime you want. And it's easy because you, you don't have to watch the whole video. You can. It's the best way. But you can also just go to the notes and you can see all these on one page. So in the interest of time, here we go. In Christ. Framework. What? What does the Bible say? In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ. That's Ephesians 1, 3 to 4. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What else do we have in Christ? We have our real life. You know, the life that we're living in the world isn't really, we are in the world, but not of it. Our life is hidden with Christ in the heavenly places. Our very life is in Christ. Why? Because that's the eternal life that we have now, right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. In Christ. In Christ is where everything good resides. So we have every spiritual blessing. We have our real life, eternal life. We have this. There's no condemnation, period, end of story. Oh, if you're in the world, is there ever condemnation? Is there ever, right? We're always being put down by the world. We're always being condemned by the world. We're even condemned by our own flesh, really, Right? Oh, you did that? Oh, man. You know? 
But in Christ, there's none of that. Isn't it great to be in Christ? Shouldn't we have our mentality there? Right? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we in our everyday life live there rather than living in or for the world? There's no condemnation in Christ. Also in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Anytime you sin, you have forgiveness. Where? In Christ. In the love of God. You have forgiveness of all your sins. It's already happened. Christ has died for every one of them. And all you have to do to have a fresh experience of that is just be in Christ. Go to him. Understand that when you, when you sin, you have a father who loves you. And Jesus Christ has already dealt with it. Where is that? In Christ. In Christ, we are a new creation. We're a new, think about that. We're a totally new creation. Never seen before on the planet until the Spirit came down to indwell each and every believer in Christ. At that moment, we're a new creation in Christ. And again, that statement, you know, you, that's, this is a perfect example of one of those statements that only by faith can we begin to even understand that. We have not only that, but we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ is our righteousness. So when you're, when you're being bombarded by like so-called evidence from the world that you're unrighteous, that you're evil, that you're wicked, all you got to do is go in Christ and believe the truth that you are now the righteousness of God. Because you have believed in Christ. He has, the Father has declared you righteous for all time. He is our righteousness. And we're in him. What a tremendous thing. So we don't look at ourselves when we talk about righteousness. We look at Christ. Why? Because that's where we are. We're in Christ. That's how God sees us. That's how he deals with the whole issue of our sins, in fact. You're in Christ now. There's no condemnation. And nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Ever, 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 ever. Where? In Christ Jesus. Can you see how amazing those words really are when you start to just take a few verses and see what they contain? In other words, in Christ blows the socks off anything that we face in the world. Momentary light affliction producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. We have liberty. We have freedom. Christ has set us free. Where? In Christ. Galatians 2.4. Not only that, but we have an inheritance. Where? In Christ. You know, this is one of those things where, you know, I know I'm giving it to you rapid fire just because I want you to see, the, like, it's almost like we're opening up this treasure and we're seeing some of the things in it. But really, you want to go back again and just take one of them. We have an inheritance. It doesn't all end at death. God has, has prepared things for us in this life and in the life to come. As a matter of fact, in those ages to come, God will continue to show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us. Where? In Christ. Amazing. In the ages to come, the future, God will show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us. I want to be there, baby. I don't want to be in the world. I'm of it, but I don't want, I don't want to spend any mental time there. I'm going to all these things, thinking on these things. 
Go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. <laughs> I want to compliment you for coming here on Sundays or on the line and, and actually sitting and resting and hearing the word of God preached. For a good length of time. I say that because I saw a headline yesterday that said that the Pope has ordered all the priests in the world to limit their sermons to 11 minutes. That's an order. Think about that. Think about that. It's way more important for them to do all these ceremonies and rituals that not only have no meaning, but are actually blasphemous in a lot of cases. Oh, keep doing that. But the word of God, come on, just 11 minutes. But we do the opposite here. Matter of fact, we try not to have any rituals without reality, right? In any event. Philippians 4.19. And my God, here's a good coda, ending, summary, what it means to be in Christ. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory where? In Christ Jesus, now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In Christ, we have everything wonderful, peaceful, gracious, loving, and good. But we live in two realms. Boo. We also live in the world. You know, and in the interest of time, I'm going to just say a few things and give you some scriptures so that we can wrap this up. What do we face in the world? What does he say? In the world, you will have Trials, tribulations, persecutions. That's what we face in the world. And don't just accept it. Just stay. You know what? Christ faced a million times more than that. But we will face it too. For no other reason. So that the God's power and insight and wisdom can be demonstrated in us. As we face some of those same things. Jesus said, in the interest of time, I'm just going to read it. He said, listen, if the world hates you. And they will. Just know one thing. It hated me before it hated you. You're not of the world. Because after all, if you were of the world, they'd love you. They love you. It's always always a a, a kind of a warning sign to me when we see Christians that the world loves. That the media loves. Right? That's a warning sign. Why? Because it says here the world hates us. We're not of the world. And he, and he basically hammered it home. A slave's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. All, and all your persecution becomes because of me. The world hated Christ first. And now we experience the same hatred. I know that's a little sobering, but we have to face this too. The word of God says that every bit as much as it says all the wonderful things about us in Christ. For example, go to Philippians chapter For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. There it is. We will suffer for his sake. 
First Timothy, Second uh, Timothy three twelve puts it this way: Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted for it. All means all. It means all. It means all of us who desire to live godly in, in Christ. Notice the combination here: all of us who are in Christ and desire to live according to what it means to be in Christ. By the way, Christ challenged the world. Christ said the, told the world of its sins and it, they hated him for it. He tries to proclaim who he was and they wanted to stone him to death. But us too, when we live godly in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. But take heart, because Jesus has overcome the world. I'm going to have to end here, unfortunately, because this is like the wrap-up, the greatness and all of that, because you really have to understand this. This is great to be in Christ. This is something we've got to face in the world, but take heart, because Christ has overcome the world. He's overcome the ruler of this world. He's victorious over the ruler of this world at the cross. And you can check that out. Whoops. If you want. We've got to go back to this next week's just amazing stuff. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. We thank you that he's defeated Satan, the ruler of this world at the cross. We thank you, Father, that we are sharers in that victory. We thank you that we have overcome the world because he has simply by our faith. We thank you that we know that the world has been crucified to us and we to the world. We're dead to this world. The world is dead to us. But in Christ, we have victory. We know that in everything that we face, all the persecution, all the distress, all the tribulation, we know that in all those things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Christ. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so... uh, just a reminder, we talked about the Bible study this morning and the notes. Come, come be with us if you can on Thursday at 6.30. I can say recently that the people online have defeated in numbers the people here. And I understand that. But I also understand, you know, gathering together is important. Okay? It's not just a matter of, oh, I want some people here, although I do. But it's also the sense that, hey, there's another opportunity for us to be where our life is in Christ. We had a wonderful time last Thursday night after the formal study, right? Just fellowshipping, you know? And you can't, re- that doesn't really, you can't even bring that across into Skype. This is not going to happen, all right? So please, if you can, be with us. Tell us your prayer requests. You can do that online. There's a place that says, give us your prayer requests, okay? And as we leave today, remember the gospel. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, We were sinners. Christ died for us and was raised from the dead. And whoever simply believes in Christ as the Savior who died for our sins and was raised from the dead by his Father, whoever simply believes, takes God at his word, never perishes but has eternal life. Now that's the sword of the Spirit that we can wield out there in the world. All right. With that, you're dismissed. Have a great afternoon.
Try to recover from the Dolphins' loss if you, if you can. I know it hurts a lot. Not as much as having to play in negative 20-degree football game. 20, yeah, you know. But anyway, have a great afternoon.